you need to set your mind that ADHD is chronic, it's neurodevelopmental, and that your, your son or daughter, as bright as they are and as wonderful as they are, may be developmentally delayed up to 30% in some areas. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? The ADHD Essentials Parenting Groups will enter their 14th season at the start of next year, and they're sure to be a powerful experience for everyone involved. But don't take my word for it. Here's a testimonial that Troy shared toward the end of his time in the 2022 summer session. I actually woke up thinking about this, and and I just have to say that... um, I think that the 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 feel and the air and and the just the whole vibe in our house has changed. Every time we finish one of these sessions, it's almost like I feel closer to my kid. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's not even um, there. Right. And I mean, yeah. I think yeah. And it's like I always want to just just want to go and and, and hug him after we finish these sessions. Um, I also feel that you have given me permission um, to just like, chill out a little bit with being uh, with being a parent um, and just give him space and give him room just be a little bit more accepting and so yeah I mean I I, I, I also I'm just sort of like in in awe of just uh, how wonderful uh, a father he must be and that certainly has an impact on me again just uh, I, I really really enjoy these sessions and I get a lot out of out of them for sure. The groups begin on Monday, January 23rd and will run for 8 weeks. We'll meet twice a week for an hour on Mondays and Wednesdays with one section meeting at 12 p.m. Eastern and the other at 5 p.m. Eastern. More information can be found at adhdessentials.com/parentgroups. Also, don't forget to check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, and ADHD Diversified with MJ. And of course, a big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies, who did the heavy lifting producing this episode. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Noreen Russell. Noreen is a former psychology professor and the founder and owner of Russell Coaching for Students. Russell Coaching is one of the largest student coaching practices in America and works with complex students to help them develop executive functioning and social-emotional skills. Noreen talks to us about lying and ADHD. She shares the reasons why our kids might lie to us and themselves, and why it's not as offensive as we might think. She also shares how the core deficits of ADHD relate to lying and things we can do to help both reduce and even prevent that lying. All right, let's get rolling. These are important things for parents to really understand. 
first of all, psychological research shows that most people lie. So when your son or daughter lie to you, that is not the most unusual thing. Even though you said to them, I want you to be honest. If you tell the truth, you'll never get in trouble. Honesty is important in our family. You've said all those things. And the fact is that the majority of human beings lie about something at some point. And so this is not unusual human behavior. And I think that broader context is important for parents. When we take a look specifically at middle school or high school students, the reason why kids with ADHD are lying is because they are overwhelmed. They don't have the skill set to do what they are being asked to do, and it matters to them. They care about being seen as a good student or a responsible student. And I think that part gets lost in the mix too. If your son or daughter didn't care, they wouldn't be lying to you. They'd be saying to you, no, I didn't do it and I don't care. The fact that they're lying still says it matters. What parents need to understand though, is there is a gap between what that student wants to be capable of and what at this moment they are capable of. So we see students lie all the time when they don't have the skills to organize their work. So they don't actually know what they should be doing. We see students lie when they forget what they're supposed to be doing because they don't yet have a way to organize their work. We see students lie when they don't actually know how to study for a test. And so they don't study for a test and then they know that and they feel bad. So they try to cover it up. So mostly we see students lie because A, the core symptoms of ADHD are getting in the way because that's there. That's the reality of it, right? There's no getting around that. Or their executive functioning skills are not developed to the point where they can manage the executive functioning demands of school. So I have yet to meet a student who lies to be rude to their parents or to be disrespectful. When students are lying, they feel sick about that inside. And I think that I'm so glad you chose to start here this morning because I think for parents to truly understand that kids lie when they are overwhelmed is maybe the most important takeaway of this podcast. I would marry to that, that kids lie because they feel overwhelmed. And often the reason they feel overwhelmed is because there's a skill deficit. They don't have the skills to do what is being asked of them. And I think that's important because we can change what we're asking of them then we don't have that problem potentially. You know, the other piece we have to acknowledge in a very frank, honest way is that one of the core symptoms of ADHD is impulsivity and a lack of planning and thinking in the frontal lobe. So when you take the combination of those two things and then a parent says, is all your homework done? You're very likely to get an impulsive reaction. Yeah, of course it is. Or did you pass that test or did the test go well? Yep. And so we have to, as parents of kids who have ADHD, which includes myself, understand how do the core deficits of ADHD also relate to lying. Impulsivity and kind of poor thinking generally can lead to feeling like, oh, I didn't get that done. I knew better. I didn't do better. And so now I have to cover it up. And it happens like that. So it's story time with Brendan. I 
pretty much lied my way through middle school. I wasn't able to do what was being asked of me. And consequently, the skills that I developed were not skills in math and science and social studies and English. The skills I developed were people skills because I figured out how to tell my teachers, my parents, my classmates, the things that they wanted to hear in order for me to not get in trouble, not disappoint people when I couldn't hang academically. I shouldn't even say that. It wasn't that I couldn't hang academically. I couldn't hang executive functionally. I was gifted. I was really smart. There were often times when I walked in a class having not done the homework, but could still answer the questions. I just got stuff fast. But I can remember very vividly, this is like the best lack of forethought, lack of planning, stuck in a lie moment, or one of my best. I was, I had a paper route when I was a kid. So I'm walking around my neighborhood delivering papers. And I had this quiz that was like an F on a vocabulary thing or whatever. It was like one, maybe two pages. And it was just burning a hole in me. I felt so much shame and guilt around this thing. I don't remember if I had to get it signed or not. I think maybe I had to, but it was, it was killing me. And it was winter. So there's all this snow on the ground. And I walked up to a house that I delivered papers to that had like, they had like a, like their yard was sort of elevated. So there was a wall and then grass up at about waist height to me. And from waist height to roughly shoulder height on me at the time was snow because it like had snowed a lot over the winter. And I took that quiz and I just shoved it into that snowbank and then like tamped it down. Right. And promptly forgot all about it until spring when the woman who lived in that house as I was delivering papers, came out and was like, Brendan, I found this thing in my yard. Is it yours? And I immediately had a panic attack because all of that rushed back to me and I knew exactly what she was talking about. And now I had guilt and shame about getting the bad grade. And I had guilt and shame about stuffing it in a snowbank and not facing up to it. And I had guilt and shame because I got caught. And like, why didn't I realize that the snow was going to melt and it was going to show up come spring? And I was like, nope, nope, that's not mine. That's not mine. And I pretty much ran down the street to do the rest of my papers in a panic for the next 40 minutes or whatever. And I share that story to kind of illustrate exactly what you've been talking about, where that's a, no one even, I didn't even tell that lie to anyone, but it's still there. And that is how it starts. And, and it's interesting you tell that story where there was no audience for the lie, right? Because this is what our students are going through. They are trying to cope with their own self-shaming and self-blaming. I mean, the story you tell is really powerful. It wasn't like somebody asked you a question and you lied. You were lying to yourself because you wanted to do better. And you knew you could do better academically. You just didn't have the executive functioning skills or the symptom control, probably. I don't know. I didn't grow up with you. Um, you know, to be able to do what you wanted to do. Yeah, I didn't even have a diagnosis yet. That didn't come till I was in my 30s, <laughs> but absolutely. So for sure you didn't have symptom control. Yeah, and absolutely. I couldn't hang academically. I could hang cognitively. I could hang in terms of intelligence, but I, I didn't have the academic skills to do what was being asked of me. And, and I felt terrible all through middle school to, for, as a result of that. And, and for real, like there's lots and lots of ways that I lied in middle school to get through it. I'm old enough that the progress reports that we brought home were written on a piece of paper. Like the teachers wrote in pen or pencil, whatever your grade was. And I had the poor forethought and the pure panic enough to try to change that F into a B, to try to change that D into a B. 
I tried to make it look like I got a lot of B's when I was in middle school because I got a lot of D's and F's. And those were the only letters that maybe could go together, right? And of course, my parents knew what I was doing. And of course, that affected their their perspective of me and how much they felt like they could trust me and all those sorts of things. But I I didn't know how to do better. I didn't have any idea how to improve where I was. And neither sort of did my parents. Like my mom sat down with me to do homework with me on not a regular basis because she probably had ADHD too, but for a person who probably had ADHD on a regular basis, um, as consistently as she could do it. And also had to deal with me fighting back and resisting and not wanting to cooperate with her because I was so full of shame and guilt about not doing a good enough job. And not much has changed for most families, despite how much more we know about ADHD as a neurodevelopmental disorder, how much more we know about what works for kids with ADHD. Parents of kids with ADHD, I think, are in a tough position. There is not a lot of great education. There is not a lot of great support. And because so many people still see ADHD as something that you need to try harder, as opposed to we need to figure out what works for you. I imagine there are still a lot of kids, I know there are from my practice, sitting around dining room tables, at kitchen counters, in the living room, feeling shameful and horrible about themselves and parents who are going, why can't you do this? You did it last week. Why do I have to sit with you? Um, and, And to me, that is entirely preventable, but understandable on the part of the parent. And the inverse of that is also true, right? Where there's parents who come in and support when the kid needs support, and then the kid doesn't need support anymore. And so they stop supporting, but they don't wait to make sure, right? Because just like sometimes the kid stinks out loud, also sometimes the kid is amazing. And neither of those is the average, like kind of neither of those is true. It's not true that your kid stinks out loud. And it's also not true that your kid is amazing. There's a through line in there. And that's what we have to figure out. So it's a good idea to kind of hang out even when your kid seems like they're doing great and they're on a roll. You might not want to sit at the kitchen table with them and make them feel that pressure, but don't start committing yourself to a new activity during that time frame because two or three weeks from now, you might need to be back at that kitchen table with them, supporting them again. And I know that this happened for me as a kid, and I, I know it happens with some of the clients that I work with. You get support while the kid is struggling. When the kid stops struggling, you pull the support away. Totally appropriate. We don't want to over support, but we're not waiting in the wings for the support to need to come back. And so the kid winds up floundering and they don't ask for support because they might feel guilty and shameful about, I was fine and now I'm not. And we're just forgetting that ADHD is nothing if not a roller coaster. Well, and I think that... When parents get this diagnosis, it would be great if professionals could really explain this is a chronic neurodevelopmental disorder. The American Academy of Pediatrics says very clearly, ADHD is a chronic disorder and needs to be treated as such. But so many times parents assume, oh, if I just get a school plan, it will all be fine. No, you need to set your mind that ADHD is chronic, it's neurodevelopmental, and that your your son or daughter, as bright as they are, and as wonderful as they are, and as kind as they are, and as good as they are, may be developmentally delayed up to 30% in some areas. And so 
just as with other chronic health conditions, we keep an eye on it. We do exactly what you said. We keep an eye on it. We wait in the wings. We monitor progress. We're there. We don't check out. That's what our kids with ADHD need. They need us to understand that, look, this didn't disappear when I got a 504 or an IEP. The ADHD didn't disappear even when I got on the right dose and duration of meds. The ADHD didn't disappear when my brain matured a little bit. And so, you know, we can have a whole separate podcast about, you know, kids who do grow out of ADHD in their mid-20s. But I think what you're saying is so important in the sense of parents understanding that this is going to require fairly consistent scaffolding, but the type of scaffolding that they're going to need to provide is going to change over the developmental time period of middle school, high school, college. But kind of going back to the core piece of it for parents, I think so many parents approach lying initially from a character or morality point of view. And it really isn't character or morality. It's a coping strategy that isn't really helpful. It's, you know, some some parents who are listening may have read some of the Attitude magazine articles on fight, flight, or fib, you know, and I think there are all kinds of, of ones in our practice, we say, fight or flight, freeze, fib, or feed, you know, so to understand that fibbing is a coping mechanism, and then for parents to really understand how do they, as the adult in the relationship, help their child, whether that child is six or 16, do better in terms of asking for help. And that's something that very much parents have control over. And I think a lot of it first is changing your assumptions about why your child is lying. And then second, having that conversation. And that that's the first step we teach in my practice is how do you have the conversation? You know what? I totally understand that you may not be telling me the truth because I haven't created a safe space for you to tell me the truth. You tell me the truth and I fly off the handle or you tell me the truth and you get grounded or I find out the truth and you lose your phone privileges. Right. And so I need to do a better job of making knowing the truth safe. And so I'm going to work on that. And I I think having that kind of honest, authentic conversation with your six or 16 year old is really valuable to say, I get it. You are lying to me. Because in the short term, it protects you from some negative consequences. And and we need to change the pattern of that interaction. And so I'm going to start changing the questions that I ask you. So I ask better questions so that you feel safer telling me the truth. And then we're going to figure out how do we get to really what is the core problem? Because I get that taking your phone away is not going to help you develop better executive functioning skills. And that's what we both really want. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Uh, I have a handful of thoughts on this. One is with my kids, and this is what I work on in my parenting groups that I run, because I'm trying to, to improve the quality of the parenting skills in the world for ADHD. As you mentioned, that parents need that knowledge. So I, I try to share that in my groups. One of the things we talk about is how to deal with it when your kids lie to you. And what I do is I play with it. Right. Like when my kids tell me a lie, I might, this is not a video media. So you're going to have to imagine after what my face looks like. Oh, audience. But I'll, I'll make a face and I'll say, this is my skeptical face. 
right? And not in a mean way, just in like, there's always a smile on my face while I say it, right? Or I might say, are you sure? Or that seems unlikely. I've got a couple of canned responses that I throw at kids and not just mine, right? When I work with kids in the field, I'm using the same things. And the reason I respond that way in this very measured, calm, I'm calling you out, but I'm not being a jerk about it is because I recognize that a lot of kids, if you give them the out, they'll take it. Like they're lying as that defense mechanism, as an immediate response. And if you just let them pause for a second and give them the opportunity to retrace their steps and give you a little more accurate information, which might not be all of it. It might not be the most accurate information, but it's more than where we started. It's useful. And that's part of my delivery. Like when I, when I say, that seems unlikely, I slow down. Like you might not, it might not be super obvious, but I speak faster at the beginning of that statement than I do at the end of that statement. And then I slow and stop and wait. And I don't say anything else. I just look at them. It's a look of like openness and and positive regard. It's not an, a look of judgment and like disappointment. Absolutely. And, and I think in that slow, measured, calm approach, what you're doing is creating a safe space for the student to tell you the truth. And we as parents have to learn, especially parents who themselves have ADHD, how to be calm and be slow and be measured. And, and that can be really hard. And that's where things like parent coaching, I think, can come in handy. And so creating that calm space where you give your six or 16-year-old plenty of time to think about, hmm, I don't know if that sounds true. We also find that there are a lot of ways you can phrase the question that will be much more likely to elicit the truth. So you probably have some that are your favorites. One of the most common ones that parents use is, do you have homework? Now, you and I both know, I think that is about the worst question you can possibly ask a kid after school. Do you have homework? Yeah. Do you want to lie to me or do you want to disappoint me? Right. Like, or right. Like, did you do your homework? No. Oh, you're disappointed. No, I don't have any. Oh, you're lying to me. <laughs> right. I mean, there's, there's no good way out of that. And you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and be frank. It's a little bit of a lazy question on the parent's part. It's a, I got to check this off my list, right? It's not a genuine connection question. A more useful question is going to be something like, what do you have to work on for school tonight that would help tomorrow go better? Or what do you want to get done this week so you feel good on Friday? It really is more of a tell me where you're at, then a, oh, check off whether or not you have homework and then have you done it, right? Those two questions, do you have homework and is your homework done, should get permanently erased from the parent arsenal of after-school questions in my mind. So what homework do you have? What are you struggling with? What thing are you most likely to procrastinate about? And could I help you at all? What do you need tonight in order to be able to get this done. I think we have to change to what are some of the tactical strategic questions that can become the voice inside that student's head that they can use to talk to themselves when they are having trouble with things like task initiation or task completion. I teach the, the coaches at my practice and, and we see over hundred students a week for academic coaching 
to always say, okay, you have this assignment. Where are you at with it? Are you 0% done, 25% done, 50% or 75? We don't even ask if you're 100% done because we don't want to create the possibility that that student would be dishonest with us. And we start with zero. Are you 0% done? Are you 25? Are you 50? Using that same calm, slow, measured approach. So if a student hasn't started, it normalizes the fact that you're struggling, right? And, and that is important messaging. And so they might say, ah, maybe I'm 25% because they want to save face, save face a little bit. And then we go and we look at it and we say, where are you stuck, right? It's those kinds of tactical questions that I think parents could develop a skill in that would then make them a little smarter than the student and help both the student and the parent get what they want, which is homework that's done to the best of the student's academic or cognitive ability. And related to that in terms of tactical questions, right? A question that I use that sounds lame and is lame if you don't know where you're going with it is I'll go to my kid and I'll say, so how's Spanish going? Which is kind of like, do you have homework, right? And I recognize that, but my kid is trained and other kids might not be. So when I say, how's Spanish going? They know that's not the only question I'm going to ask. This is just me saying the new topic is Spanish. Like that's basically what that question is doing for me. That's the job. And then I'm going to go somewhere else, right? Even if my kid says, no, it's fine. I'm going to say, awesome. What's making it fine? What are you doing differently? How long has it been fine? Are you sure, right? Depending on how they say fine. Um, I have one son who says everything is fine. I'm like, hey, how you doing, bud? He's like, I'm fine. He knows what's coming next is, is this a real fine or is this you always say fine? Like what's going on? And then he usually says, no, I'm actually fine. And I'm reading all kinds of nonverbals to see if he's telling me the truth or if he's actually kind of, you know, fibbing a little bit and he needs me to push a little bit harder. But we as parents have to be ready for that. But what I love about that is that's your communication ritual. That's how you connect. It's predictable. It's part of the fabric of your relationship. Both people know what to expect. There's no, I got you, or I knew you were going to lie to me again this week, or I figured you didn't get that done, right? Like your kid knows, okay, I'm going to start with the basic question. Then I'm going to have a lot more questions. It's predictable. It's not going to drive up the anxiety. And you're going to be a parent who keeps that connection. Tell me what's fine. Like what's great? What went well, right? And then just as easily to say, What's not going so great? Where are you struggling? What class do you wish would just go away? What assignment would you love to just take off your radar screen, right? We have to invite and normalize our kids coming to us to ask for help. The question, do you have homework and is it done, makes the assumption that your kid has homework and that they can get it all done and you don't want to know anything more about it other than that the kid knows what homework they have and that it's done. Maybe that works with some neurotypical kids, but I bet there's still an opportunity for connection there that might get missed out on. But when you use this kind of drilling down approach to say, hey, what would you like to work on tonight? Or what do you have to work on tonight that you really wish you didn't have to work on? How could I make that easier for you? What support do you need? Then you're 
six-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old is connected with you. And that is ultimately, you know, as someone who's trained in developmental psychology, that's what I care about are those connections. Yeah, sure. I care about grades. My kids will be the first ones to tell you. My mom expects us to get A's. And I'll say back to them, that is because you are 100% capable intellectually. Your ADHD is treated and you have every resource that you need. And so, yes, I do have high expectations. And if you ever need help, you know you can come to me, to your dad, to your coach, or your tutor. I think that that keeps them away from lying. It's not that we have a perfect household, Brendan. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of screaming and crying and, and lying and all kinds of things. But I do think that lying from your son or daughter is something that we as parents are fundamentally in control of by the kind of questions that we ask them. Yeah, I agree. A, a, couple, of, a couple of things I want to say. One is the stuff we're describing is, uh, it's a little pie in the sky, right? Like you already kind of pointed that out. There's plenty of screaming and crying and lying in your house. And there is in mine. We have struggles in my house too. I'm not going to pretend that I'm always perfect about how Spanish going. Sometimes I hear it's fine. And I'm like, awesome. Cause I have so much to do right now that I need to do go do. I'm going to let it be fine. Sometimes that's what happens. Right. Um, and probably if that's where I am, I shouldn't ask that question in the first place. I should just not go there, but sometimes I have to, sometimes I have to check in and see, and, and maybe I can play, but I'm, I'm doing like, I have five minutes, right? Like that's, then I got to go meet with a client. So hopefully Spanish isn't too much of a train wreck. You know what I mean? Like that. I'm not going to pretend that doesn't happen. Right. Maybe that's a nugget of information this morning, right? Parents, check in with your kids when you have 10 or 15 minutes. Don't check in with them on your way from the bathroom to your office, right? Hey, is the homework done? You know, that that's a that's a great practical nugget. Make sure you have the amount of time it's going to take. Um, we have a, a phrase that's all over my office. I didn't tell you it would be easy. I told you it'd be worth it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Another element of this that I just want to, I want to pull on for a second is why lying is bad. Why do we have this view that lying is bad? Some of it is faith-based. Some of it is like lying is a sin and all that stuff. And if that's your jam, cool. It doesn't happen to be my jam. I'm not opposed to lying because it's somehow going to cause bad things cosmically. My issue with lying is that lying changes my understanding of the problem. That's when I have an issue with it. If I'm like, do these pants make me look fat? And you're like, no, they look great. When in actuality, they do make me look fat, but it's not the pants. It's the fat that makes me look fat. So too bad. Cool. Not a problem. Like I'll just wear these pants. Maybe you're as honest as to say, no, your fat makes me, you look fat, go on a diet and go exercise, which, okay, cool. Like, thank you for drilling down into the real problem at hand. But smaller than that is at, as a former teacher, I always had that one kid who it's like the second or third homework assignment and they already haven't done it. Every now and then it was the first homework assignment and they didn't do it. That's a red flag as a teacher, right? You're like, oh man, this kid, right? And I would take those kids out in the hallway and I would have a conversation with them, right? And I would do it in the hallway because I wanted to keep it private. I didn't, I don't want the whole school to, or whole class to hear what I'm saying. And the way that conversation typically went was, I'm going to ask you why you don't have your homework. And probably you're going to tell me that you left it at home because that's what every kid says when they miss their first homework assignment. 
And I genuinely don't care why it is that you don't have your homework. I care that it isn't done, kind of, like it's the beginning of the year. So like you can absorb this. But I do care about why it's not here. And if I ask you why you didn't do your homework and you tell me you left it at home, but the truth is that you didn't do it, I'm going to help you solve the wrong problem. And then I'm not helping you. So I need you to tell me the truth, right? Like I need you to be honest. And to me, that's the heart of why lying is a problem is it covers up a problem that does a disservice to the person having the problem because now they're not going to get the help that they need. They're lying in order to protect a relationship, in order to maintain other people's perspectives of them, sometimes their own perspective of them of themselves. But it's also obfuscating this challenge that needs to be dealt with. Absolutely. You and I have both seen the kid says, I forgot the homework. And all of a sudden we have 10 adult suggestions on how do you remember your homework? As if that's the problem. Or, oh, I couldn't figure out how to turn it in. And before we know it, we're sending them down to the ed tech consultant to learn how to work the portal and make sure they get things in. And those aren't the real problems. Or maybe they had family responsibilities the night before and they didn't have time to get their homework done. But that was sure going to be a lot less appropriate to say to a teacher, even maybe to their tutor. And so not having a clear and accurate understanding of the situation doesn't allow that student or the team of people who care about them to really help. But again, that doesn't mean that the student can always tell the truth without the adults proactively teaching this skill. You know, how do you ask for help? How do you acknowledge to yourself that you've been lying to yourself? I just went through this with a, a coaching client um, who is at an international baccalaureate school, and she very much cared about school, and she very much wanted to do well. And um, I was doing some supervision with her coach, so I sat in on a couple sessions. And what we really ended up finding out through some skillful questioning on the coach's part is that student was lying to herself. She couldn't even keep track of six different IB classes, what was due, what she had started, what she hadn't started. And it was hard, right? And she had gotten herself so mixed up in the lies of what she was saying to us, to her parents, she couldn't figure it out. That's where she needed help. And, and that, I think, is another takeaway message from me this morning is that we as parents of kids with ADHD have to acknowledge where do they need help. You can want all you want for your kid to not lie to you. And that is a valid, reasonable desire as a parent, right? I don't want my kids lying to me. I hate when my kids lie to me. I hate it, right? But I also hate the fact that they're lying to me because they don't feel like they can tell me the truth. And so then it's also my responsibility to figure out why are they lying? What's going on? Where are they overwhelmed? The same way if they get a concussion at sports practice, I take them to the doctor. The same way if they're struggling with piano that I call the piano teacher and I say, what's going on here? And so I think one of the dangerous assumptions that parents kind of make is if I just reiterate to my kid how bad it is of them to lie to me, then they'll stop doing it. And to your point about drilling down, we have to know what is the real problem. 
That's why we want the kid to stop lying. But there's a lot under our control, whether it's in our role as teacher, therapist, ADHD coach, parent, there's a lot of space for us as adults to role model and teach that skill. I want to drill down into if we just impress upon our children how bad it is to lie, how wrong it is to lie, then they won't lie anymore is some nonsense. You are lying to yourself if that's your impression. Because as a guy who had that drilled down to him, I am so good at lying because when my parents drilled down on me that lying was bad, that didn't change my lack of skill set. That didn't put me in a position to be able to be successful. It just taught me that I couldn't get caught lying anymore and I had to do a better job. I had to pick and choose my battles more effectively. The stuff that I could lie about, I did lie about. The stuff that I couldn't lie about because I was going to get caught anyway, I didn't lie about. So I got better at getting away with it, which is not a good plan. I also luckily happened to be a kid that integrity mattered. I read a lot of superhero comics growing up. And eventually I started to feel bad about the lying and stopped doing it. But not before I became an expert by like eighth grade, right? Like that happened. And now I'm 44 and I don't lie because I don't really need to. I just own my stuff instead because it's healthier and better and feels nicer. But your kids are just going to get better at lying if all we do is sort of ridicule them for having lied and make a big deal about how it's bad. That's not going to get us where we need to be. Instead, we want to normalize it, right? We want to say like, yeah, you're going to you're gonna mess up every now and then and you're going to want to lie about it and that's okay. Just please don't. Here's where we can meet in the middle. Here's where I can make it safer for you. And, and I want to circle back to normalizing lying in a second. But first, I want, to, I want to talk about the systemic nature of this stuff because I am intentionally shattering the habits of the parents who came before me. My parents were really good. They did a lot of stuff right. I'm not being critical of them, but I know that they come from generation after generation of like, just yell at the kid more, then they'll do what needs to be done, right? Or punish them more or something. And I know that doesn't work, but that generational system of this is how we parent, don't question it, has done some disservices to how we parent and how we perceive our kids' behavior. And it especially doesn't work for ADHD. So I, I just want to take a minute to honor the fact that this is systemic as much as it's tactical and strategic. Absolutely. It, it comes from generations of, you know, parenting, but so much about parenting has changed from a hundred years ago, 50 years ago. And I think that we're always going to be figuring out this generation, our generation, the next generation, our kids' generation, you know, how do we parent in a way that is healthiest? And I, I think, to be honest, we've all recognized that authoritarian parenting, the, you know, do as I say, not as I do, and do what I tell you, and don't ask any questions. You know, we've learned that that is not psychologically healthy for our children, or really for us. It's a generational change cycle, you know, and, and, and we do have the power to use different skills and and to adopt different things. For me, it all comes down to the connection, right? Because you say you were a great liar, but I bet, I bet the people who were truly listening to you and paying attention to you knew that you were lying. And sometimes you got away with it and sometimes you didn't get away with it. 
And sometimes kids who lie about stuff get away with it because the adult in charge says, I'm not going to tackle that one. Or we just went through this last week and I'm exhausted. Or you know what? It's the beginning of second semester and I'm okay with you lying to me today. And I'm going to think through how do I want to handle this by the end of the week. It really is pretty rare when there is a good, strong connection that a kid can lie and the parent doesn't know it. And that, in my experience and what I hear from parents, that is heartbreaking. It makes parents mad, which is understandable, but it is also heartbreaking. My kid is lying to me. My kid is struggling and I don't know the truth of it. Most parents I know would rather know the truth. And and so I think it's important to also put lying in the context of healthy relationships and connectedness and authenticity. You said, I didn't feel good when I was lying, right? And then when you add getting away with it, you still don't feel it. It's not like, oh, I got away with it and now I feel great, right? Or I stole the candy bar from from the store and I feel great about it. You know, there's no ever feeling great about it. Yeah, I, I basically exclusively lied about my grades. That's really the only thing I lied about. And it, it never felt good because I knew it wasn't a thing I could get out of. I couldn't dig myself out of that hole. And in reference to like, sometimes you, you can tell and you just let it go, right? In the land of normalizing lying with my kids, if I can tell that they're lying, but I'm going to let it go, I tell them, we have that conversation. It's fast, but it's me going like, I don't know, there's something going on here. I'm not sure what's up. Like I'm skeptical. I'm going to let it slide because we have to go to grandma and grandpa's house or whatever. But like, I point out that like, I am not confident in what we just talked about. And we're going to revisit this at some point, but for now I'm going to let it go. And I have the kind of relationship with my kids. And this, this I think is critical where that doesn't feel like a threat to them. It's not like, I'm not threatening anything. I'm just going, eh. they know that I'm assuming they're not ready to talk about it yet. And sometimes I even say that. I'm like, probably you're just not ready to talk about this yet. It's cool, but I'm like, I don't know, my spidey sense is tingling. And then we move on. Exactly, exactly. And you've been authentic and real, like mm, my spidey sense is tingling and we'll pick this up when we have time to really talk about it. And so whatever the words are, whatever your style is about that, Mm, I'm feeling skeptical, or you're telling me that you've turned in those five assignments in AP bio, but I still feel anxious and worried about it. And so I'd like to connect with you later about that. You know, whatever is in your authentic, real relationship wheelhouse, address it like that, but address it and do it in a way that invites more conversation. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? You know, I think that the takeaways from today really are for parents to understand that human beings lie, right? It's not just their son or daughter who's lying. People lie. That is human nature to lie about something at some point. It's not always something to worry about. It's something to worry about when your student is overwhelmed, when there's a pattern of lying when the lying is because they're overwhelmed by the demands and the responsibilities that they're encountering and they don't know how to handle that and they need some help. And so I think it's really important as a second takeaway for parents to realize they can change their tactics, their strategies, their questions in order to connect better and to ask smarter questions. I'll sometimes even say to parents in my practice, 
we really are smarter than they are. You can ask the right question so that you can get the information you want so that in your words, Brendan, you get to what's the real problem, you know? And so that is the second piece of it is parents change your tactics, get smarter, get wiser, figure out the right questions. And then I think for me, the bottom line takeaway is then you have to figure out where and how and why is your middle schooler or your ninth grader or your college freshman overwhelmed? What are the skills that are lacking? Is their treatment appropriate? Do you need to check in with a medical provider? Do they need an executive functioning coach? Do they need an ADHD coach? Do they need to change a class or two, right? Is once you drill down and you understand the problem, then you engage in collaborative problem solving with your son or daughter to figure out how do you get past the being overwhelmed? And I think as a final point, there are times when our kids just need to say, I feel overwhelmed. And then you know what? They go and do it just like we do as adults. I need to be heard that I feel overwhelmed, that I'm anxious about this, that I'm angry about it, but I don't need you to do anything about it. I just need to be heard about it. And so that's important. And then parents can use the phrase that we use with other adults. Do you need to talk about it? Do you want some help problem solving? How can I help? If you know people want to know more about our coaching practice, our method of connected coaching, we are at russellcoaching.com. And we work with middle school, high school, and college students across the United States and Canada. And basically, our niche is really helping kids who have ADHD, autism, anxiety, some combination thereof, maybe with a learning disability thrown in there. And our goal is to help that student to grow and thrive and reach their academic potential and to alleviate family conflict. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.